that. Hello, lovely listener. It's Celia. I'm not sure if I told you on the last episode, but I know at some point I told you I was going to be interviewing a lady who, um, she works for an organization. It's a nonprofit called CASA, and that stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates, and that's for children, and it's something I'm very interested in right now. Her name is Teresa J, and she is sitting here with me right now. You want to say hi? Hi, everybody. <laughs> yeah. So she, I got some questions for her, and then, of course, we're going to get into the deep stuff, which is, if you're my listener, that's what you like to hear. So we're going to um, go into all that, but first, I want to talk about what you do at CASA and what CASA is. Okay. Now, I am the Outreach Coordinator for CASA of Southeast Mississippi. Um, we are court-appointed special advocates for children that have suffered from some form of abuse or neglect. Um we are a volunteer-based nonprofit, and um, our volunteers are trained, 30 hours of training, mm-hmm. and then they're sworn in by the youth court judge as officers of the court to be a voice for the children that are in foster care. Okay, so I you I put you as my referral source, but I've actually applied to do that in um, Tennessee because there's awesome. a place right by my house. So you guys are looking for people all over the surrounding counties. What counties are the Green County? What else? George Green and Jackson counties okay. in Mississippi. Yeah. So how long do you think I should wait until I harass them? And because I've already sent in my application, they sent to me. They've got to do a background check and look at my references. How long should I wait before I follow up and be like? <laughs> well, I would give them at least a week or okay. so. Um, it right. depends on how big the organization is yeah. and how long it takes to get that stuff done. Sometimes you know, because once we send in for the mm-hmm. background check. Sometimes it comes back in a matter of days. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a couple of weeks. Yeah. So, so this is the one in Sumner County. I don't know if you're familiar, but I did name drop you. I said, Teresa J referred me. Because <laughs> they're like, who recruited you? I'm just going to say it was you. Because you had talked to me about this, and I knew I was going to come have a conversation with you. But I didn't realize it was in every state. It's like in 49 of the 50 states as I was looking it up. And I'm like, oh, there's one five miles from my house. Yeah, but the only thing about that is like in the state of Mississippi, uh-huh. there's only 10 counties in our state that has a CASA program. Okay. And our program is was, we were Jackson County CASA for okay. many, many years. And uh, CASA of Jackson County or Jackson County CASA was the first original CASA organization mm-hmm. in the state of Mississippi. Gotcha. And I just announced this on um, social media. I promised that I would tell you guys first, but um, it's kind of at the same time. You'll just hear it depending on if you follow me. But I just um, announced to everybody, and of course, Teresa knows that I'm technically Mrs. Mississippi because you may be wondering, what are you doing in Mississippi? I've worked um, in the Mid-South for the past four years, so I and I've got the podcast that's listened to globally and the books and stuff, but I wanted to really pour my community service um, into Mississippi while I am technically a title holder to July 22nd. And then I'm competing for Mrs. International. So it's going to be a short-lived experience. And then, so if I compete again next year, if I were not to win, I would be um, Tennessee. But I will, I love this conversation that we have going and I'll be here as a resource for you. And I know you're going to share your email to people in a minute. But, okay, so I want to know, I know you used to do real estate. We bonded over that because I'm a mortgage lender. Right, But yes. then uh, then you came to do this because why would, okay, let's see here. What, where were you whenever you found out about this organization and what pulled you to it? Okay, well, I was working as a realtor. I was with a local brokerage here mm-hmm. in town, and they always, um, sponsor the Casa Blues event fundraiser mm-hmm. yeah. that um, Casa has had for the last eight years. And so we got free tickets. Mm-hmm. You know, our broker sponsored. We got free tickets. 
you know, I was like free food, free, you know, <laughs> free entertainment, drinks. <laughs> free drinks, all the things. Yeah. So sure. Yeah, let's mm-hmm. go. So I went to the first Casa Blues event mm-hmm. about, I guess it's three, oh, three years ago, uh-huh. I think three or four years ago now. And heard the stories from the some mm-hmm. of the the kids that have gone through um, the youth court system mm-hmm. and had gotten out and how well they had done and what having a cost of volunteer meant to them and their mm-hmm. stories and it just really touched me. Yes, you know because I've been through a lot of mm-hmm. the things things yeah. that some of the kids have been through. And you don't look like it. You're somebody very put together like me. Beautiful smile. Like you just sometimes when you think of. Whether it's drugs or abuse or, like, even abuse gets that stigma of, like, you don't expect them to look put together and, you know, beautiful or whatever it is. Or not even that, but just the put-togetherness. Like, you've you've come out on top. So, at what point you said, told me that you had, it touched you, um, can you trace it back to like maybe what trauma? Well, briefly, I'll go into you know I was sexually abused pretty much my entire childhood, mm-hmm. um, from probably as far back as I can remember, five or six years old, up until I was sixteen. Um, at sixteen, I was pregnant by my mm-hmm. boyfriend and got married at sixteen and had a kid. Well, my sexual abuse started by a family member when I was really really young, and. You know, back then, you know, I'm almost 60, so, you know, telling my age here, but, you know. Back, <laughs> she doesn't look it. <laughs> back then, you know, you just didn't talk about that kind of yeah. stuff. You know, you just, it was, um, as long as you didn't talk about it, it didn't happen kind of thing. Yeah. And I lived out, out in the country, you know, on a dirt road where, you know, we were like 20 minutes from town and we barely had a telephone half the time, you know. And so I never realized that, um what was happening to me was not normal. Yeah. You know, uh, in my mind, it was happening to all my friends, you know, because yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, normal to me. Yeah. And so I, um, you know, over the years and I got married, like I said, had my kids, you know, all these things. And for years and years and years, I had the same dream. Is this before you knew it was wrong? No, the this was, this you, was during the whole okay. process. I mean, just even when I was a kid, I mean, from the time I was a little bitty uh-huh. to up until my t- uh, late 20s. You I, had the same dream? I had this okay. dream. Okay, tell me about the dream. And I, the dream was I was in this huge warehouse mm-hmm. and nothing in it, just empty. And there was one window at the very top. Mm-hmm. I couldn't reach the window. And then there was this door all the way to the other side of this warehouse. And... I had on the same little holly hobby dress that my mom made Mm -hmm. and some little white sandals in this dream. Every single time it was the same scenario. But I was running toward that door Mm -hmm. in this dream. And sometimes these big barrels would be rolling toward me. They never got to me. And I ran and ran and ran and ran and never could actually reach that door. Mm -hmm. And I had that dream for years. And then after I had my kids, you know, growing up, raising my boys... Um, it went away for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, because I got caught up in my kids and all that. And then we moved to Virginia in late 80s, early 90s. And all of a sudden one day, I just started having this dream again. And I was like, whoa. You know, because it was mm-hmm. just shocking because I hadn't had that dream in many years, you know, several years, probably right. five years or so. And I was just shocked by it. When we were in Virginia for a couple of years, we moved back to Mississippi and... After about a year, I guess, I said, I have got 
to get some counseling. I've got to do something with it. Because it scared you. Like, you would wake up and you'd, like, be so scared. Yeah, it would just be like, why am all of a sudden am I having the same dream again? Mm -hmm. But it was just, I was being pushed to confront the monster. Yeah. Confront the person that did this to me and turn that over to them. Yeah. And through counseling, I was able to do that. You know, I had an amazing counselor. And um, that was one of the first things he told me to do was... Turn this over. Give yeah. it to them. You yeah. know, because it's not you. You, you didn't, didn't do anything letter. wrong. I wrote a letter and presented it to that person in person. Uh-huh. And Did they I read just, it to you in front of you? They read it, yeah. In front of you? Mm-hmm. What did they do? Did they cry? Well, yeah. I mean, they it did. was pretty emotional for well, good. everybody well, that, involved, you know. But Well, I mean, that just gives me some hope that, like, there's some kind of, like, they feel bad a little bit. You know, I always yeah. have a heart for people, even the bad people. But yeah. I'm like, I'm glad that they cried. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it had to be done. You yeah. Know? And I basically just looked them in the face and said, this is all yours now. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. And then I was able to, like, move forward with my life, you know. Mm-hmm. I went to nursing school and everything after that. I don't How think... old were you whenever you realized it was wrong? When I realized it was wrong, probably in my uh, early teens uh-huh. or, you know. Did your boyfriend know that you got married to? That you got pregnant He by? didn't know at the time. Okay. He knew years down the road. Okay. Um, I asked because I had something happen to me when I was 15. And I wrote about it in a book. I blamed myself because of the clothes I was wearing that my mom bought me. And my husband read it when I was like 33 years old. And he's like, Celia, you were molested. And I was like, really? And he was like, yes. But I didn't actually feel it and realize it till about six months ago. It was like, that's when I finally faced it. That's why I asked. Because yeah. like, he's like, I told you that that was wrong. But I was like, it didn't feel wrong until I was ready for it to feel wrong. Because whenever right. I was ready for it to feel wrong, I was ready to face the fact that other people didn't protect me, that they knew, and they also blamed me, and that's where I got it from. And that was just a whole wound that I just had been protecting for a very long mm-hmm. time. Because it about, like, you know, my dad thought I was having a nervous breakdown. But it was like just a weekend. I was just healing. Right. I was facing it. So you were in your teens, you knew it was wrong, but then you started facing it. Whenever you were in your... My early 20s. 20s. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was just... um, It was becoming a hindrance to me. Mentally, you know, my mental health and everything. So, tell me, because I know the dreams, but what other ways would the trauma manifest for you? Um, Just in, you know, things that would happen. I mean, I had to deal with this person for many, many years because I was basically a caregiver for the most part, you know, in certain situations. And so I was faced with that person constantly. So it was a constant trigger. Constantly. And things would happen and I would get very angry, mm-hmm. you know, because it was like, I don't know, it was just, I can't, I can't explain it. It's really hard to explain. I feel like I understand because um, I kind of created distance with my mom who I feel like she didn't, it was not this, it was like not as intense as this other person, but um it brings out a, a resentment whenever I'm with her because the wound's not healed. And it's like, I'm an ugly, I'm acting like an ugly person. And I don't want to be an ugly person. Not saying that you did this, but it's just, it was like, it's such a trigger to be around her because of the things she didn't protect me from. And like, I'm just, it's like unforgiveness, but I can't fully forgive until I've separated for like, I don't know how long it's And I take me. totally, totally understand because I feel the same way. Yeah. But, and I don't know that I'll ever be able to let go of that part of right. it. You know, I have tried, yeah. you know, and, and I, I'm, I mean, I see the ugly side of me some, a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of days, but, and, and I try not to be that kind of person or right. be that person, 
but you can't help it sometimes. You know, there's certain things in your life that you will never be able to completely just let go of, you know, yeah. and, and what, and I guess it angers me. It upsets me. It angers me when you hear people tell you that was a long time ago. Just, just move on. Just oh move my on. gosh. Me I too. mean, how many times have I heard that? It's yeah. it just, it's, it's, oh yeah. You know, yeah. I'm like, seriously, how do you just do that? Yeah. Well, they're, they're not treating their wound. If they're just, if you're just moving on, cause you, in order to move forward, you have to look back. Yeah. You have to like heal and Sometimes I've accepted that certain things may not ever 100% heal, but I can, like, manage it in a healthy way. Right. You know? And that's what you have to do. You know, mm-hmm. you have to get to that point mentally and, you know, and emotionally where you can handle things the right way. But there again, there's always that trigger. And it's yeah. just always. But there's a lot of days where I feel the same way. I'm like, you know, the resentment and the, mm-hmm. you know, just... And you can't, it, I don't know that it'll ever go away. Yeah. I met a lady, um, cause when I finally realized that what had happened to me was like a, a, like a year ago or six months ago when I realized it was like what it was and that people like knew about it and they didn't go tell the police. I was like, you know what? I'm going to advocate for little Celia. Like I'm going to mother her. So I went down to the court station 17 or what is it? 20 years later or no, no, 22 years after the event. And I'm like, I know that like I went in person. This is two and a half hours away to my hometown, basically knowing that it's beyond the statute of limitations. But I was like, I'm going to file a police report because I'm going to stand up for her and at least put it out there that this was wrong and that I know it was wrong. And, you know, they went and they said something to him. That, so, like, he knew that this was all coming up, but there, there's nothing that they could do. So, it's kind of put a little bit of fear in the guy because he's still mm-hmm. around. But they did say, you know, you can't say his name because um, then that'll technically be whatever it's called whenever you uh, say slander. Uh, slander. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that's fine. But the lady that had interviewed me, she told me that she had been um, molested by her brother like growing up and it was just like she thought that that was normal she didn't know that there was anything wrong with it like she thought all other family because it's like when you're in a like a your little bubble of a family whether whoever it is or however it happens it's just as things whether it's your mom being like incestuous emotionally with you or whether it's you know uh, the brother it's like you're just you think that that's normal because it's like your whole world is right there that's all you know but she realized, you know, as she was getting older, how it was affecting her, even though it didn't, because we talked about how, I said, isn't it crazy how when trauma is happening as a child, it doesn't feel traumatic. But then as you're an adult and you formed adult and like, you know, something's wrong. Like then it's, you feel the trauma yeah. when you're, when you're a grown up, but like in your, as a kid, it's like, we can disassociate. Yeah. Like, cause which, which is what I did. I like shut down from that moment on. And then I started um, uh, self-harming and then I did drugs and then I just basically ran myself to the ground until I was forced to, you know, face everything I was running away from, including that. And see, I turned it the opposite way. You know, my sister, um, you know, she went through the same thing I did and she took a a different path than me. I took the path of the mentality and the path of this is not going to define me. I am going to be somebody. I'm going to work my tail off and I'm going to show you and the world, yeah, that I'm better than that, and that I and I got this, yeah, you know. But without counseling, you know, and and the thing going back to Casa a little bit, you know, the kids nowadays we didn't have, 
the opportunity for things like that, you know, to, to know. I didn't know that I could reach out to somebody. Right. You know, I didn't have anybody to advocate for me. So I just stayed silent forever, mm-hmm. you know, and they were in a position of power too, like yes. in the church. So I want <laughs> kids out there and grown people too. Yeah. You know, because a lot of times, just like with me, a lot of times grown people, you know, women, we don't, or even men, mm-hmm. you don't face this, like you said, until you get to a certain point in your adult life yeah. where it you say, okay, this is wrong. This was wrong. I've got to deal with this. So I want people out there to know, kids, grown people, you know, there are resources yeah. in your communities. Yep. Reach out to somebody, yeah. a church, a or- local organization. It doesn't matter. Just somebody because there's somebody out there that will advocate for you and, and help you. And they're trained to understand, like, whenever somebody's facing this, even if they're an adult, the emotions they experience are like the emotions they would when they were a little girl whenever it happened. Yes. Like, the way I was behaving the weekend I was really processing this it was like a teenager cry or a teenager tear. It was like that because it was I was finally facing it as like her because it was her that it happened to. It wasn't right. yeah. thirty eight year old. And people me. don't understand that because they just think, my God, you're just losing your mind. Yeah, you know, you're having some kind of breakdown. Yeah. you know, you're nuts. Mm-hmm. I'm not nuts. I have to. This has to be a process. And yeah, I, I have to do this. You yeah. Know? So, if you think I'm nuts, just get away from me. Yeah. Give me time. You'd be like, yeah. I've talked to the sanest person in the room for a few years. Like, they were my therapist. So, yes. like, I know I'm in the right. Right. Most people don't have, like, a sane person like that that they've, you know, um, talked to. I don't think, I think that, so there's a statistic that the um, 70% of adult Americans have experienced trauma at some point. And um, I don't know what that statistic is is of those that have actually, like, gone to therapy to get help for it. But I don't think it's 70%. Or I don't think it's 100% of that 70%. Right, and a lot of people don't, you know, they, they shy away from counseling and stuff mm-hmm. because of insurance and the cost and things like that. But there are programs Free and organizations and things out there that won't cost you a dime. Right. You just got to research it and, you know, find out what's available in your community, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, the kids that are in custody... In our counties, they that's what CASA is. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are that resource. We're that, that voice with those for those children. Mm-hmm. You know, teenage from newborn all the way up to 18, 19 years old. So my husband said, he knows I'm going to do this, that I'm, um, I applied to be a corner-appointed advocate. Because I, I did, um, my interview coach, she's a foster mom. And I said to my husband, this is before I even came into the CASA thing, and I was like, dang, I was like, would we, would you ever want to be foster parents? And he was like, no. And I was like, okay, like, hard no. And he told me, he was like, you can do this, this is fine. He was like, but you're not bringing anybody home with us. And I was like, no, I know. And he was like, I know you, and I know how you are. You're going to get attached, and don't, how do you, how do you not, like, you don't. Um, You know, that was one of my first, my husband's first you know, thing comments to yeah. to me whenever I became a volunteer three years ago before I came on staff in January was, you're not going to be bringing any kids home with you, are you? And yeah. I said, no, I'm not going to be bringing any kids home with me. But I have been a volunteer. I was a volunteer. September will be three years. Mm-hmm. I've been with my personal case for that long. And you don't not get attached to yeah. these children. Um, my oldest one calls me Nana. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like my family now. But they know that... A, most of the time, a CASA volunteer is the only consistent thing in these kids' lives. Yeah. Because 
you know, they go from foster home to foster home to all these things sometimes. And we go with them everywhere they go. Mm -hmm. Once we get assigned to their case, we're with them until either they are reunited with the parents. Mm -hmm. If the parents do what the court says or they're adopted. And then once they're adopted, if, you know, through the foster system, then we stay with them even after that. Really? Yeah. I mean, we've got some cases that have, um, they've had older kids. They mm-hmm. graduate from high school. They go on to get married in college and all that thing. They go to the weddings. They go yeah. to the college graduations. And they, they're, they're this child's friend, advocate for life. Mm-hmm. I love it. So, um, but... So the volunteer work that I would be doing, is it between the hours of like, let's say nine to six or what hours is it? Well, in our program here, you're required, it's basically about a 10 hour obligation a year. A year, that's it? <clears throat> I mean, a, a month. Okay. So. I was like, but you take, you, you're required one in-person visit a month. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Between With your child. like after school hours or whatever. <coughs> whatever you set up mm-hmm. with the false. Okay, got it. Whatever works in your schedule and their schedule. Mm-hmm. You do one in-person visit a month, and then all your other communication can be via phone, um, FaceTime, whatever. Okay. <coughs> I apologize, y'all. I'm so sorry. My throat itchy. You're fine. Um, but that's really the requirement, you know, okay. and you, you chart through a, a specific system that you, your contact with the, with the foster mother or the, you know, the mm-hmm. child. Um, I've been with mine, like I said, three years. I sometimes talk to my the foster mom via text on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what's going on. Yeah. I go to birthday parties. I go to, you know, mm-hmm. all the things. So, um, these kids become part of your family. Do you feel yeah. in ways, some ways, like, because, like, having children has healed me. Like, do you feel in some ways that this relationship um, that you have with them, in some ways, like, it heals you too? It does. It does. Um, one of my goals <clears throat> in the next year or so is to be able to go into the schools mm-hmm. and briefly, you know, just tell my story. Yeah. You know, and to let the kids know that not are, that are not in the foster system, you know, right. kids in general out there, that there is someone here that can you can talk to. Yeah. You know, you can go to one of your teachers that you trust. You can go to your principal. You can go to your school nurse. You can call me, you know. Yeah. I want the kids, the girls out, young girls out there that was sitting there in that auditorium like I was yeah. many, many years ago to know that there is somebody here for you. See, there it's, I've heard it's like really hard to get in schools, but I believe you and your situation, you're going to have an end because you're already like, you know, you work for a nonprofit. Like this is um, like state appointed. Like, so. Mm-hmm. I hope so. I mean, yeah. I haven't actually pursued that yet with the school board or anything, but that's one of my I would love goals. That. I would love that for you. I would love to do that for myself. Um, anybody who's listening knows how to get us in there. You just yeah. Let us if you, know. yeah, if you know how to get me in the, um, you know, Mississippi schools, yeah. Yeah, let us know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of my goal there, you yeah. know, one of my goals. You know, but we have... In the three counties that we serve, there's close to 400 kids in foster care Mm -hmm. in these three counties, Jackson, George, and Greene County. We can't serve all these kids because we don't have enough volunteers and we don't have enough funds. Because in order to recruit volunteers and train volunteers, we have to have the funds. Yeah, employees to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's um, one of our big things, you know, being Mm -hmm. a nonprofit. But 
Our goal is to be able to serve every child that's in custody in our three counties. How do you choose right now who to serve? The court chooses, really. Okay. I mean, based on the case and the, all that, the background and mm-hmm. all the things, all that goes, because the kids come in custody through CPS. Okay. And then they go, it goes before the judge, the youth court judge, and then the youth court judge determines whether a CASA needs to be on the case or not. Okay. So, but in George and Green County that we have just, you know, extended into last year, um, we only have one or two volunteers at each of those counties. And in George County, there's 75 kids in custody. We only have one volunteer. We have some in training right now, but we can't serve all 75 of those kids because we don't have the hands to do it. Yeah. You know? So, if anybody listening, like, this is definitely something we need to, like, create a movement on because this is, like... Not, it's like you don't have to be a foster parent. You don't have to commit like that. It's like 10 hours a month, and it sounds like maybe two hours in person and eight hours total on the phone just checking in. Yeah. Yeah. Or email or, you yeah. know, just, just some communication with the child and the fosters. I mean, you're, you're an advocate for the child. The foster parents, the CPS, are advocates for those foster parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do become close to those foster parents as well. Yeah. Um, but our main responsibility is to advocate for those children. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go once you're sworn in. You can go to their schools. You can go to their doctor's appointments. All these things, so you can know what's going on with the child. Love it. So. Yeah, this is um, for people that have like really great careers or they're happy in their career, but like it's not fulfilling. You don't feel like you're making a difference. I think this is a great opportunity. Um, speaking like of myself, like I love doing mortgages. It pays the bills, but I don't have that like fulfillment. Yeah. So well, see, and that's the way I've. I guess I because I was a nurse for eighteen years, so I mm-hmm. had that background as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the care being a caregiver, and then I went into real estate, and I love real estate, you know. But it was just you know with the market fluctuations mm-hmm. and all the things, and I just never felt like that was where I would be forever. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, being a CASA volunteer, I just, I love the, I mean, just the passion I have mm-hmm. for this organization. Yeah. So, and when I came on as staff, you know, um, my main responsibility here, my main job here is, um, as an outreach coordinator, is um, event planning and fundraising, mm-hmm. which I love. It keeps me very busy. Yeah. But, you know, I do all that with such passion because I know who it's benefiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's benefiting these kids that come into this, to to this court who are scared to death. They don't know what's going on. And half the time, like I said, they're pulled. They'll be maybe they may be in this foster home for a couple of days, and then they're moved to that foster home. And so sad. Know, I can't and, imagine my little four-year-old's going through that. Yeah, and it happens every day. Yeah, every day. Yeah, you know. And then a foster, a newborn comes out, and they go to a foster home, and they may be there for a year or two, mm-hmm. and then they get pulled out to go somewhere else. Only family, only home they've ever known. Yeah, you know, you just never know. Yeah. So, oh, this is going to be so hard. Dana, if you're listening, I'm going to try really hard not to bring these children home. Like, yeah, I know. Because it's going to feel so easy. It's going to be like, but it's, we 
can, we have like two extra rooms. It's fine. Well, you have to go through a separate training, of course, to be a foster. So you have to go through a whole different vetting process to be a foster. (laughs) So it's a lot more extensive. But, you know, I always tell people that make those kind of comments, start off as a volunteer. Exactly. Yeah. Because that way you have an idea of the the system and how it works and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And um, then if later on you want to become a foster, then that's great because we need fosters too. Yeah. We need good fosters. Yeah. My interview coach, she's a foster parent. And that was like her big platform was on foster care. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, did you... Okay. So, can we share your email if anybody wanted to? Mm -hmm. Yeah. My email address, if if anybody out there is listening and I don't care where you are, and you you think I need some some counseling? I need some resources. I don't know all the resources in every community in this in the United States, but I know how to use Google and I know how to use the telephone, so I can do what I can to help you find some resources. So my email is Teresa. It's my first name T E R E S A dot J J A Y E at gmail dot com. Email me and I will see. I will do everything in my power. To find you resources, to find you help, somebody to talk to, or, you know. And, okay, so we fell in love with you, and we want to support you and like, what you do here. What's a way that we can do that for listeners that don't live in Mississippi? Um, we take sponsorships or donations from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, our website is CASA, C-A-S-A, Southeast Miss MS. So, it's C-A-S-A, S-O-U-T-H-E-A-S-T-M-S, at, uh, dot org. So if you go to that website, mm-hmm. then you can find out ways you can donate from there, mm-hmm. um, find out about volunteering, just everything you need to know about CASA. All right. So donations are always accepted no matter where you live in the United States. <laughs> well, you know, um, but if you, I would suggest too, you look into your local communities mm-hmm. and see if there's a CASA program in your community yeah. and re- inquire about that. You mm-hmm. know, if you're really interested in it, you know, there may be a cost of, like you said, right down the road from your yeah. house that you could help the kids that are locally in your community. That your kids might be going to school with children yeah. that are in foster care and you just don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So reach out, you know, in your community and see what's available in your community and help there first. Yeah. And then if you feel led, then we'll be glad to take you your donations. If you have any extra. <laughs> yeah. If you need a tax write-off or anything like that, just, you know, give me a call. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> so. well, it was so wonderful talking to you today. And I hope you listeners, I know you guys enjoyed it as well. And we'll stay in touch. Okay. All right. Thank you. It was great. Yes. All right. Bye, lovely listeners. <laughs>